Welcome to the Ballistics Report Podcast, where we mix our love of the NBA and statistical analysis. We're going to be looking at teams and players through a different lens. And as the season continues, we're going to be building a statistical model. It's going to help us show which teams and players are going to excel during the season. With that, let me turn it over to my co-host, Eric. Hey, everybody. What's going on? Uh, today, we're going to start off to just talking about stuff that's going around the league. It's been a really, really exciting just first couple of weeks. Uh, the first thing that we want to talk about is just the parity around the NBA. It's been insane watching some teams that you thought would underperform perform really well. I'm looking at you, Phoenix Suns, and seeing the teams that are you thought would at least sneak into the playoffs, like the Warriors, but man, they've just had a rash about bug. Uh yeah, what what what's been what's been the team that surprised you the most, Josh? Well, I think we have to start with the Warriors because it's just been bad. Like you and I have been fans of the Warriors for a while. Uh, I've been a fan of Steph Curry since two thousand nine, um, and the fact is, they're just not a good team. Like it is bad. Yeah, it's it's really awful too because their defense was such a revolutionary defense where everybody was super stretchy, switch heavy uh, defense that where everyone could kind of defend everyone and fill in gaps and holes. And you, you really see them being exposed on the defensive end. And I think it's not, not because of just Kevin Durant. They've lost a lot of really good defenders mm-hmm. like clay injured, uh, like Andre Godala, even Sean Livingston. Um, and it's just been really surprised. I mean, it's not that surprising, but man, going down what 30, 40 points in a game for the Warriors. Yeah. How is that? How is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> well, the common thread about every person that you just talked about is length. Like Andre Iguodala, really long. Sean Livingston, long. Clay Thompson, long. Draymond Green is uh, a long, good defender. So, like, when you have those four or five players on the floor, you get a lot of speed and a lot of length for um, very skilled players. And they don't have those positionless players anymore. They have the more traditional lineup. Like, you know, Jordan Poole is like a point guard, shooting guard, but he's not very long. Uh, Then you have D'Lo, who has kind of short arms. Talented, but kind of a turnstile on defense. So you're having a bad mishmash of talent. And I really thought Steve Kerr would put it all together, but so far he has not been able to. And what's surprising to me is that Draymond Green, who was the basically a co-captain for the Golden State Warriors, was a defensive uh, shot caller for, for this team, isn't really figuring it out for this team. Uh, I think part of the brilliance of Draymond Green is how good he is at directing the defense when everybody's moving all over the place. And I, I, I know he's disappointed. Every one of his post-game interviews, he's so disappointed in the defense. He's so disappointed in losing games. Uh, but I'm, I'm just really surprised because I really thought he would be able to at least pull these together, these people together and direct some semblance of a defense. And it's just not looking like it so far. Yeah, he is the quarterback on the defense. Like, in all the finals that you saw them go to, he was always saying, like, be in this position, move here, slide your feet here. Like, he was their defensive coach on the floor. I I think it's a, a mix of, of personnel. Like, I don't think he thinks he can work with some of these people. And then I think it's partly, like, I I think we're seeing Draymond Green when he doesn't have at least two or three all-stars on the floor. He's a good player, probably above average, but is he an all-star? I I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's better suited as a coach or something. I still think he's an all-star because of his IQ and his brilliance, but that's really, really hard to show when you don't have the players to put it together. Like you said. Yeah. Um, I know we talked uh, off camera um, or off off podcast about the fact that, uh, uh, you know, the, the hallmark of a coach is how well they do uh, with a smorgasbord of players. But we, we really only judge coaches <laughs> uh, 
you know, when they win and, and to win, you need the right personnel and good players. Uh, you can overachieve a little bit, but in the NBA, you need talent to win. And yep. I, I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but that being said, uh, I, I mean, <laughs> let's talk about your big surprise. I know there was a team that, uh, uh, that, not only were you surprised, but you you uh, dogged on their best player, Devin Booker. <laughs> yeah, the Suns, they're out of nowhere. I know they had added Kelly Oubre. They added uh, Ricky Rubio. Um, but really with DeAndre Ayton down, I thought they were out for the count. But this kind of solidifies for me that DeAndre Ayton, as much as he looked good stats-wise, he wasn't really that big of an impact player. And maybe I'm just making a judgment called way too quick based off of the three games that they've won without him. But it, 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 it's starting to see more and more that DeAndre Ayton wasn't that big of a factor. And my apologies to Devin Booker, but this guy is lighting it up. And he is really leading this team. I still think he makes kind of bad decisions in the clutch. But it doesn't matter because across the whole game, he's just, he's just shooting so well. He's doing everything right on offense. He's drawing a lot of uh, defensive players to him and making good passes. I, I think the Suns, um, I don't know if they're for real, but right now they, they look really, really good. Yeah, like I think um, like I think the Suns are a weird case. Like legitimately, I don't know what to make of them, but they've been competitive in every game that I've watched them. And – um, I know Devin Booker hasn't been like the scoring machine that we know him to be in every game, but he was still doing a pretty good job. And as you said, he draws in defenders. He's such a good shooter that you have to respect his shot. So he's getting open lanes for players like Kelly Oubre and Ricky Rubio. And and to your point about DeAndre Aiden, I, I still really like him, but he's he's like that traditional center that the NBA has already moved away from. So, like, he, he can't be as effective as he would if it was, like, 10 years ago. Yeah. And, and just, just so everyone knows, as we're recording this podcast right now, the Suns are about to beat the 76ers. Devin Booker is 15 of 19 and dropped 40 points. So, man, I, I was completely wrong about this guy. Uh, I hope he keeps it up for the season because this is going to be a really interesting team to watch. You know, I, I think the point that we have to make, if this continues, the Suns will be in the playoffs. And that's probably going to knock a couple of good teams that we thought would make it out. They're about know? to improve five and three. That means they're going to be, I mean, granted, they played more games than a couple of these other people. Oh, five and two. Yeah, They've five and two. They're going to be right right under the Clippers mm-hmm. um, or right right there with the Clippers at number three and four. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually speaking of the standings, like where did the Timberwolves come from? I thought, I thought Andrew Wiggins wasn't a player, but <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns is holding this team together, throwing down massive double doubles. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, I mean, he's expanded his game. He can play the post. He can, he can play the mid range. I am very, very impressed by Carl Anthony Towns. Oh yeah, I I've, I've always been a fan of Carl Anthony Towns, but one thing that really got me is that he's playing he's ferocious. He is uh, a guy that is on a mission and and let's give Andrew Wiggins credit. He's actually playing pretty well. Like he's not just like fading completely out. Is he the all-star that we thought he would be when he came out of the 2014 draft? No, but he is probably a above average to good player that could make like one all-star in his career and you know that that might be enough to be your third best player on your team and I I think Cat would take that yeah absolutely and and I mean uh everybody dogs on Andrew Wiggins shooting but he came up really clutch on one of the games I forgot which one he hit a big three um so you're right Andrew Wiggins is I I don't know I think out of this whole equation Andrew Wiggins is the weak point. I'm a firm believer in Cat now. There was a a time where I didn't think that Cat had the the tenacity, the ferociousness, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. to be that post player, to be the man. And, man, he is proving me wrong this season. 
Yeah, I I want to say it was the Miami Heat game that uh, that uh, Andrew Wiggins did that like crazy uh, three point shooting display. Uh, and it's funny enough, it's the one where they play against Jimmy Butler, even though he didn't play that game. But I, I think both Wiggins and Cat wanted to make a statement that we didn't need you. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I again, I'm with you. It's been a huge surprise. Like, I mean, just the standings are so wonky. Like, we have, you know, the Lakers. Yeah, we saw it there. But yeah, the Timberwolves are two, Clippers at three, Mavericks at four, Spurs, Nuggets, Suns, Rockets. And that leaves out right now the Jazz, the Trailblazers, Warriors, Kings, I guess. But I mean, this is going to be a tight playoff race in the West. For sure. And, like, yeah. what happens when, uh, when Zion gets back with the Pelicans? If he gets back in time, I mean, they're playing awful right now. Although I know uh, – Brandon uh, Ingram. Yeah, Brandon Ingram put up 35 points tonight, I think. No, I think um, he did 40. He did? Jesus. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that guy's guy a talent. But, yeah, like, add Zion to that equation. And then, man, the, the parity in the NBA right now is – just insane oh yeah you know the the eastern conference has always been pretty open i mean like i would say like the pistons hawks magic i know they're kind of near the bottom of the standings but i give all of them a chance to sneak into the playoffs if they play well enough oh absolutely and i I mean like the nets are at three and four right now they're still trying to figure out their way but i mean when they round out into midseason form, I wouldn't be surprised if they move up. And, and I mean, the Hornets are in it right now. I don't think they're going to stay there. But everyone's being really competitive. This, like, Kevin Durant moving to the East actually balanced out the, the NBA like no other. Yeah, even though he's not playing, it yeah. balanced out the NBA, which is wild to think about. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, he really is Thanos. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, well, speaking of players in the in the East who are really helping the parody, I really wanted to talk about Derrick Rose mm-hmm. because he's been one of my favorite players. And he is having a revival of I, – I would even say last season he was kind of getting into that revival. And now he's just playing so much better. Uh, what have you seen in his game that has made him kind of potentially all-star caliber in the East? Yeah, I mean – like even just talking about parody, I mean, the all-star game is going to be so hard this year. At least the first tweaks are telling us that. And Derek Rose, man, like that guy since last year, you're absolutely right. Since last year, he's been going through a renaissance of like adding more stuff to his game. Like he's not just relying on his athleticism. That was one of my biggest critiques of Derek Rose when he first got in the league. Like I, I loved him as an exciting player, but I was like, I, I don't know if this guy can rely on his athleticism for the rest of his life. And, you know, I, I feel for him. Like, no one wants to have the injuries that he did. He, he had so much heart. But the thing that I love about him now is that he has a mid-range game. He's playing with more patience, more purpose. Like, I, I'm seeing, like, when he's not trying to beat his guy off the dribble every time, he's waiting for the offense to come to him. He's waiting for... Uh, the right defensive uh, uh, openings. And then he's also finding people. I think he's averaging like 21 and six, which is, is really good. I mean, even in his heyday, like he was, I think he topped out at eight during his uh, MVP, but most of the time he was under six or sorry, under seven assists per game for most of his career. So the fact that he's a six man averaging almost six assists with 21 points is insane. Yeah, I mean, I remember the Derrick Rose that was hyper-athletic, could get to the rim, circus shots. Like, I don't even know how, how a person could have that much finesse, speed, and strength all at once. And so when he went down with his injuries, I really thought it was over for him because he never really had a shot. Um, I still don't think he's really found a three-point shot, and I think eventually that's going to have to develop if he's going to continue in the NBA at this level. But maybe not. He's he's picking his shots really well. His mid-range games got it going. And he can still get to the rim, not as athletically as he used to be able to, but he's still there and he has the he has just the instinct to get that ball into the hoop, which mm-hmm. was is is something that he's always done. Like 
if if you get that man within two feet of the basket, he's gonna find a way to get that ball in the basket, and and that's something you just can't you can't teach. It's just like man, I don't know. It's like born born in him to do that. Oh, absolutely. Like I I think he the one thing he's always really excelled at is that when he gets close to the basket, I think he he converts at a really high efficiency rate. Like. Uh, so I, I love Russell Westbrook, but like, he's actually been shown even when he gets into the paint, he's not a great finisher, but Mm -hmm. Derek Rose, Kyrie Irving, like they know how to get the ball into the hoop and it's because they have so much control in the air. Uh, like they don't allow their athleticism or their, their handles, anything to stop them from having control of the ball. And that's huge. And Derek Rose is showing even even after injuries that you can reinvent yourself or at least add to the parts of your game that were already elite to keep you relevant. And I think that's the part of Derek Rose that I'm really loving today is that, uh, as you said, he, he doesn't have a three point shot, but his mid range shot has gotten a lot better. Like we even saw that last year when he was with the Timberwolves, like when he uh, got that 50 point game, a lot of it came off of mid range shots. Actually, it wasn't Mm -hmm. just driving to the hoop and, that that's the crazy thing is that if he can at least be dangerous from there that draws in players makes people respect your shot and we all know about gravity I mean the gravity of the court is where Derrick Rose can really excel in if he's able to as a six man he's playing against the second unit a lot if he can at least get them off kilter enough that they bring in the starters they don't have enough rest uh, throughout the game, he's actually going to make the Pistons even more dangerous as the season progresses because then the starters that they're playing against are going to be more tired at the end of games. They're not going to be able to execute. Like that's a huge part of strategy. And I think Derrick Rose is going to be a huge part of, of the Pistons identity. Yeah. All right. Before we move on, uh, what's your call on on Derrick Rose and All Stars? Is he going to make it this year? As of right now, yes, because uh, I haven't really seen um, enough from a lot of the Eastern Conference players to say that there's that many that are better than him. I obviously there's Giannis. I think Kyrie's going to make it. Um, I think Pascal Siakam's going to make it. I mean, what are the other like? Eastern Conference players that are really lighting it up. Like uh, Boston, I'm sure, is going to get one or two players in the All-Star game, but that's probably going to be because of winning more than, like, them being standouts. Like, I don't know. Like, uh, and, and I could be forgetting people, but that also tells you something, that Derrick Rose is one of the top-of-mind players that is playing so well. Yeah, for sure. I think he's going to make the All-Star because he's going to get – Oh, hopefully he gets a lot of the fan vote. I know the fans are all rooting for him, especially mm-hmm. after the tough couple of years that he's had. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say he sneaks into the All Star All Star game, um, surely because not not only because of that, like merit merit based, of course, but also because people really really love Derrick Rose. I mean, if he has 21 and six by the All Star break, and the Pistons are like five six, I I can't I can't name players that would deserve it more than him so um but yeah before we move to the next topic i'm, I'm gonna make a prediction because of what happened last year i think vince carter also makes the all-star team as uh, <laughs> adam silver's like write in or whatever he wants to call it the commissioner's pick because uh, i think him and Pau gasol are going to be the dirk and Dwayne wade of uh this year and i get it they're not as iconic but i think people actually really liked old all-stars in the in the all-star game as sort of like a, a nod of like you've contributed so much to this league ooh, ooh, don't tell me vince carter is not iconic man that hurts oh i think he is <laughs> i think he is but like i i know I, I had an argument with someone like six months ago where they were like uh vince carter's not going to make the hall of fame and i was like he is eight. yeah he is one of the best dunkers ever he has eight all-star games to his to his name. He was the second or third best shooting guard for like three years in a row. Like this man is going to be in the Hall of Fame. But but that being said, you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, two other all-stars in the East. Uh, Joel Embiid and 
cat. What yeah. happened there? <laughs> oh my gosh. I first of all, we gotta give a huge shout out to Joel Embiid for being the greatest troll the NBA's ever seen. <laughs> like I before we even get into the fight, that guy, I don't think he's ever gonna have friends uh before games or after games after this. <laughs> Dude, just imagine if Kevin Garnett had Twitter back in the day. Like that's basically Joel Embiid, but like funnier, you know, like, yeah, really like Kevin Garnett will eat your babies. Joel Embiid will like mess with your head just because it's hilarious and everybody loves it. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, speaking of the fight, I obviously I don't want to get any, uh, I don't want anyone to get hurt. I, I love Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid. And I think, you know, they're the two brightest young centers that we have other than Nikola Jokic. But I love the intensity early on. Like, you want it uh, – like, Embiid and, and Kat wanted it. And that is why they were all about that smoke, man. They really wanted to show the other one that they're, they're not taking any crap from each other, let alone the rest of the league. So um, the fact that they were more than willing to throw down so quickly was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you, man. I, I love it. Um, it yeah, we're, we're kind of past the days of the old school f- fighting on the court. But uh, Joel Embiid and Kat are two really tough guys that I think can, will bring back that type of intensity. Um, I, would, I would love to see them play just like 82 games of this season. Oh, for <laughs> <to> sure. Because <laughs> that is an entire, a really entertaining matchup to watch. Oh it's my a pity gosh. they can't face each other in the playoffs unless they make the, the finals, but man. Ugh. Yeah, I, I mean, well, never say never. I mean, again, this year has shown us that whatever predictions that we had, we have to throw out the window. So yeah. uh, we, we, we could see uh, we could see it. Probably not, but we could yeah. see it. Uh, but that being said, again, dude, the thing is uh, about this is that um, – that I love that uh, again, I obviously Embiid is a huge troll, but I think Carl Anthony Towns just wanted to shut Embiid up because this is not the, actually the first, this is not the first time Embiid has gone at cat on, on Twitter, on Facebook, or, or not Facebook, but Instagram, like Embiid is literally called out this guy several times. I, I think he is like, uh, I, I, when Embiid says he has real estate in people's heads, I, I believe it. I think that there's a lot of players in the NBA that hate him. And uh, I'm, I'm just hoping, hoping that they play one more time and it's going to be a fireworks, man. Yeah, I, I think it will. I don't think they're, either of them are going to forget this fight in a really long time, especially with Cat having to tap out against Ben Simmons for some reason. I don't know what Ben Simmons was doing, but it looked like he was – just legitimately confused that he got so much of a chokehold on cat. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, uh, that was an MMA move right there. Oh, for just sure. like, you know, get behind him, chokehold, bring him down to the floor. And here's the thing. I'm surprised about that because Ben Simmons and cat are actually really good friends. So I, I guess maybe he's, he's uh, protecting cat. I don't know. Like Embiid actually said on Instagram, he was raised by lions. So who knows? Like uh, uh, who who knows if he's uh, are, are like too tough for Cat. And one thing I'll say is that every, one of the biggest knocks on Carl Anthony Towns, like since he got into the league, is that he's soft. At least this proves that he's willing to you know uh, throw some punches. Uh, get in there, show some passion because uh, again, that was one of his biggest knocks on his uh, game so far is that he didn't have enough passion. So uh, kudos to him, man. And, and Hey, Ben Simmons, if, if the NBA doesn't work out and that $170 million dry, dry up, uh, you got MMA. Oh, for sure. And speaking of big men that I absolutely love, I want to talk about Anthony Davis because we were just talking about it last week and man, I think Anthony Davis heard and he put up a 40 20 in Josh's name uh, just for Josh, because Anthony Davis, I firmly believe now is the focal offensive player of the Lakers. 
which is crazy considering he's playing alongside LeBron James. Yeah, I will have to eat crow on this, man, because I I didn't think Anthony Davis could be that leader, but he is showing that he is the number one um, on the depth chart in, in the Lakers uniform. LeBron has deferred to Anthony Davis, allowed him to be the focal point of the offense, and then also lead the team. Like the thing that I'm, I'm loving right now from Anthony Davis is that he is leading the team on both offense and defense, and he is setting the tone to where LeBron actually has to uh, be in lockstep with him and not the other way around. And I think that's going to be a huge recruiting pitch when the summer comes around and Anthony Davis is a a free agent because he's already said that he's not fully sure if he's going to re-sign. But right now, when you are the number one option on the Lakers next to LeBron, that's a huge selling point. I, I don't think there's any way that he leaves this summer, um, especially if they go deep in the playoffs. Uh, playing with LeBron James makes things easier for, for all teams. Like just watching the revival of Dwight Howard, it, you can see how much playing next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis opens up things. And I think Anthony Davis has never played with this caliber of, of talent before. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's just so refreshing to him. I think he's, the game looks easy to him. He posts up, he does, he does anything he wants on the floor. He's unstoppable. He had, he had what, 27 free throws, uh, yeah. in that 40, 20 game. And just, just a monster in efficiency, a great player. Um, I, I, I just, I can't say anything more about Anthony Davis as much as I hate the Lakers for acquiring yeah. him. Man, Anthony Davis is one of my favorite players right now. Dude, I, I have to give it up to him because you, you absolutely hit it on the uh, nail on the head. Like with 27 free throws and he made 26, do you know how dangerous you have to be that they literally do a hack-a-shack on you? But you're a great free throw shooter and you're knocking them down. Like that is terrifying because the thing is it's either that you just let him score because you can't defend him and very few people can, or you hack him and hope that he misses. But when he, I, I mean, for that game, he was like 94%. And I think for the, for the year, I want to say that he's in the high eighties. Like that is terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely crazy. I'm looking forward Anthony Davis for the rest of the season yeah absolutely and and with that I mean that actually is a great segue into our main segment of the night uh, which is we're going to be talking about plus minus one of these uh, statistics that are a little murky to most people or they think it's kind of a dumb statistic and and truthfully before we did our research we kind of agreed so with that being said, I'm going to uh, turn it over to you, Eric. And why don't you give us a kind of a high level on uh, raw plus minus and adjusted plus minus, and then let's get into the nitty gritty about that. All right, man, I'm going to try my best. Uh, I've been reading a lot of things online, trying to dumb it down for me because this is some graduate level mathematics and I'm not a graduate level math major. Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, nbastuffer.com. Bleacher Report, ESPN, obviously. There's this guy on Reddit named Drummer Rob, and he just wrote one of the most brilliant breakdowns on plus minus. So I just want to give them a lot of credit because a shout lot of what out, I'm Drummer saying, Rob. Yeah, shout out Drummer Rob. A lot of what I'm saying is going to be regurgitation, a poor regurgitation of whatever <laughs> is in all these articles. So please forgive me if I'm saying something out of turn. I think I got the basics down. I'll give you a real quick briefer, and then we'll talk about the weirdness and, and, and what all that means to us. So we'll start off with raw plus minus. Uh, that's pretty basic. It's just the time that you're on the court, if your team is getting outscored, uh, then you have a negative plus minus. If you score more, you're, you have a plus, uh, a plus in the plus minus. And from a really basic standpoint, you're looking at it and you're like, okay, I, I as a player – have a lot of like let's say i'm not scoring 100 points a game i have a lot of intangibles how are those getting captured oh it's when i'm playing with the team 
that I have a higher plus minus. But mm-hmm. that also has a lot of issues. So, like, stick me on a team with Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Giannis in an NBA game, I'm pretty sure we still get a plus minus against some of the worst teams in the NBA, right? And I, I'm me. <laughs> Does that mean I'm actually a good player? No, absolutely not. That I'm actually a really – I am not an NBA caliber player. That's for sure. Okay, first of all, Eric, they're standing on your shoulders – Okay. Oh, for sure. For sure. I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing all the intangibles. I'm putting, I'm putting people in chokeholds. That's, that's my <laughs> Well, cat won't mess with you. We all know that. <laughs> so then we move into adjusted plus minus, which adjusts for the players that you're playing with. Um, so from what I understand, it's basically like a, the most average player would be zero on that plus adjusted plus minus. So if you're an average player, you're zero. Over 100 possessions, you're neither uh, contributing or detracting from your, from your team's score. And that means if another player comes in it's, uh, that has a plus, plus, minus, uh, based off adjusted plus, minus, that player would actually be contributing X amount of points above average. So you want more plus, plus, minus players because that means they're above average you want less of the minus ones because they're below average mm-hmm. tons of problems with this model um, a lot of people have gone in depth about it but i think the biggest one is the multicollinearity uh issue where mm-hmm. if you play a lot with another player if you're always paired with another player it's really hard to dissect and say this player is definitively uh that much better because they're always yeah. playing with the other player yeah, yeah. I actually just took uh, a graduate level uh, statistics course, so there I we actually go. We know. Should be relying on you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in layman terms, think of multicollinearity as that uh, something is in a natural uh, progression with someone else, or, or independent variables are are easily affected by another independent variable. And when you have a regression like this. Um, where you're trying to decide uh, how um, how different from the mean or how different uh, or what the variance from the mean is, when you have two independent variables that are so closely aligned, it skews your data. So um, adjusted plus minus does not take that into account at all, which is very, very dangerous, as you said. Because like, uh, when we look at the death lineup, right, uh, for the Warriors, they had a really high plus minus together. And it, it's great because all of those players did really well together and, and it speaks to that. But there may have been a weak link in that, in that lineup, but it is hidden because they're all playing together so much. And so that's, a, that's the reason why that this can be very tricky. Like, you know, Steph Curry, um, obviously huge. Like he, his plus minus is, is gigantic. But when he's a defensive liability, you may not get to see it when he's on the floor with four long, good defenders. So that's what we're saying when there's multicollinearity. There's too many dependent, independent variables that we, we, uh, we need to take out or, or at least sift out to see what the regression really would be if um, we had a singular player and we put him through all the simulations against all the average players, different teams, uh, a neutral venue, and we'll get their actual uh, impact on the court. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one, one way that a lot of statisticians have been trying to combat this multicollinearity issue is through something called regularized adjusted plus minus. Um, this is super, super... Uh, statistics-based, and um, I, I absolutely don't understand this at all. Uh, Drummer <laughs> Rob from Reddit uh, actually had a really, really good analogy. So I, again, I would, I would recommend you look this guy up because he, he, he explains things really brilliantly. Um, basically, with regular lies adjusted plus minus, you're trying to um, uh, like scrub out the margins of error. And you have this lambda that is kind of like a filter and if you filter it based off a certain, in, in a certain way, 
you reduced a lot of those margins of error. So the long, you need like a longer period of time. You need like, I think it works best with three years, someone said, worth of data. You can start teasing out individual players' worth instead of seeing, because instead of just seeing how they play with other players. Um, I'm not going to butcher this topic anymore. Um, I think this is important because one stat that we see touted a lot is real plus minus on ESPN that people are saying is a version of regularized adjusted plus minus and is actually a little like, I think what bothers people about this real plus minus is that it's not transparent and ESPN has never really said what this means or what it does. They have some vague descriptions about it and they still, they tout it as this end all be all stat that can rate a player's effectiveness on the court. And we'll, we'll see in a little bit, we'll talk about the top players. We'll, we'll see a little in a little bit why this is kind of uh, the real plus minus works well sometimes, but when it doesn't work well, it gets really, really weird. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of uh, talk about regularized, um, a, a regularized adjusted plus minus uh, and going into the ESPN real plus minus, which from what I can see, it, it really does borrow heavily. And I think they use some other uh, layers to it to make it a little bit more uh, complex. And I'm sure ESPN just wants to keep it under wraps. So it's a uh, kind of their secret sauce. But uh, again, what you were saying about, so there's a lot of standard deviation when you have multicollinearity. So you'll, you'll have a lot of variance within um, um, for a single player. I, I, but what uh, they do, from my understanding, is they try to strip out those um, those independent variables that affect others. And then when you see that the variance actually goes down or the standard error goes further down and it's actually closer um, to what what is called like a p-value, which is a probability value of it being correct, that's when you actually see that, okay, when you take out this independent variable, which might be Draymond Green, or this independent variable of Clay Thompson, you see how well Steph Curry does on the floor when it's just him and nine average players. And I think that's really important when you're thinking of how do you rate a player just on their own merits and not through like purely a team lens. And I think the really cool thing about regularized um, adjusted plus minus two is there, there are different variations of it, and everybody can kind of calculate their own. So you see some models that do things differently, and I think that's so cool because everyone can kind of chip in and see how they can get the best uh, RAPM um, based off of their own modeling and their own thinking. I, I, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, I know um, when you were doing research, you, pu- uh, you pulled out like a great spreadsheet that kind of shows us uh, some of the top uh, four-factor regularized adjusted plus minus. And, you know, obviously it, it has some great names on there, but we, we won't go fully into that one because there's just so much data. But the fact is it is so incredible to see how different players uh, are on neutral courts, nine average players, what their offensive rating would be, and and to a point what their defensive rating would be. And I think that's really important when you look at the measure of a player is their holistic uh, statistics. Like not just, you know, this person's a great offensive player uh, or a great defensive player. You can actually combine these scores to get a more holistic view of a player. Yeah. All right, man, you want to take a quick break and then we'll jump into looking at some actual real plus minus of players for the 2018, 2019 season and see where things are kind of weird and where we maybe agree and disagree. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll see you guys back after the break. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ballistics Report podcast. We're going to jump right back in it with Real Plus Minus. Eric, why don't we go into the actual rankings of Real Plus Minus last year? So what we saw from players... Um, on both offensive and defensive plus minus and see who are the best players. Cause I'm, I am sure that um, we're going to see some of the better players in the top 10. Yeah. Um, so this is based off the real plus minus of ESPN.com. Uh, this is for the 2018, 2019 season. Cause we just don't have enough data for the, for this current season. Top 10. I don't think anybody's surprising in the top 10. 
Number one is Paul George. And you see he's number one because of a really, really balanced both offensive and defensive, mm-hmm. uh, real plus minus. And so I think that's a well-deserved spot, even though maybe people don't see him as number one. You typically think of James Harden, Steph Curry, Giannis, whatever, uh, Jokic. Uh, but luckily, <laughs> two, three, four, five are Harden, Curry, uh, Giannis, and Jokic. So yeah. I think like real plus minus is doing pretty good at, at the top end here. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, these are all some of the top players that you think of. Like, the MVP race is, is usually these, these top five players, especially last year you saw it. Um, but I think, you know, going further down the list is there's some surprising names. I'm looking here, like, Nikola Vucevic is number eight. Yeah, it's weird. He's ranked above LeBron James. I know yeah. LeBron kind of had an off year last year. Uh, but I, I can't help but think because of LeBron James's weird year last year, it kind of downranked him. But again, uh, hopefully this is adjusted over many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of what's keeping LeBron James up top because last year his teams played pretty poorly. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're looking at this ranking and you're telling me, hey, Vucevic is a better player than LeBron James, even at this in 2018-2019 with as quote-unquote poorly as LeBron James does, did. Yeah, 27-7-7. and What a bum. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what a bum. Uh, I would say, no, that, that you're crazy, right? And I know plus minus is supposed to kind of measure these intangibles, but I'm not sure that I see those intangibles from Vucevic. I think he's like a pretty stat-heavy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that obviously is an excellent player, but I don't know if I'm putting him as the number one option for my team, no matter what. Oh yeah. I think the stat and, and maybe we'll go, we'll, we'll go into this later, but the surprising stat is his defensive real plus minus, I think. Yeah. And, and I think that's also bolstered just by the fact that Orlando is a pretty good defensive team. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, this is the this multicollinearity issue where it just seems like someone's stats are bolstered by the team around him. Yeah, and you, I was hoping that uh, ESPN, that they would kind of uh, vet that out or, or, or sift that through, but maybe they didn't. But I, I think I, – I, but I can see from Nikola Vucevic's, like, last year why he would be close to the top ten. I didn't think he would be number eight. But the fact that he had an all-star year, he was, he was very efficient, and he did a great job for them. So I'll, I'll give him that. Yeah, and so this is kind of the tricky thing about plus-minus. It is, it is kind of a team stat. It's about how you're contributing to the team. Yeah. Um, and obviously, Which is good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's good. Uh, but it also it, it, it muddies the waters a little bit yeah. uh, because it's based on how well your team does. So whereas I would, re, I would build a team around LeBron James in 2018, 2019, I can't say the same for Vucevic. I think he benefits a lot from having the right types of players around him. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Like he, he was very lucky to have long athletic players next to him that could um, kind of be his defensive anchor while he kind of floats on offense and defense. And then he did a very good job. But I mean, that being said, I mean, I'm, I'm looking through the, the, rankings and Danny Green's number 13 and yeah. he's ahead of Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Rudy Gobert. Yeah. I, I found the Danny Green, like if you're looking through this list, Danny Green is definitely the first one that stands out. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't know where that comes from. Right. Like I think that's what's so difficult a about real plus minus because it's not transparent, but generally mm-hmm. when you're looking at regularized adjusted plus minus, it is kind of a black box. It's pretty hard to, to, to dissect and say, this is why Danny Green was a was very, very um, valuable player to his team. Because just based off the eye test, yeah, he played well, but it, it doesn't seem like he contributed that much above and beyond than someone like Jimmy Butler or Kyle Lowry, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, with with uh, Danny Green, like the thing that I, I think really helps him is that he has such a balanced offensive and defensive real plus minus. 
And maybe that just speaks to the fact that he's a type of player that he does well in the minutes that he's given. Um, he, he shoots well. He defends well enough to where he's – He's able to keep those scores high, or when I say scores, I mean the real plus minus, but maybe it's also because he plays next to Kawhi Leonard that his defensive rating's higher, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think it also, you also have to kind of take into account how many minutes a player is playing. So, um, I mean, his teammate Kyle Lowry is below him at 15, and I would, I would say that Kyle Lowry made a bigger impact to the Raptors than Danny Green over that season. Um, and you can see that Kyle Lowry got more minutes, 34 minutes versus Danny Green's 27.7. I think what's, what's hard too, is then you have to start digging into kind of their lineups. Uh, yeah. I actually didn't watch the Raptors that much last year. So I don't know what, what, where, where Danny Green was being slotted. Like, was he a starter? And then he started playing with, uh, most play with the starters and Kyle Lowry was the guy that was playing with the backups. There's a lot of factors here at play that, make this stat a little bit confusing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think we're, we're going to see it more teased out like uh, as we go further down, because I think there's more variability with the lineups um, when you go further down. Cause I feel like Paul George, like he played with a lot of the same uh, players. He, he uh, had a very consistent lineups and uh, he played a lot of the game. He, he, uh, was on the floor at 37 minutes a game. So that tells you that he probably had uh, a very consistent lineup um, and probably a very few end-of-the-bench players that were playing with him. Yeah. Um, and so, like, one way to kind of see this in reverse is if we look at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the last-ranked players is Kevin Knox. And I know Kevin Knox didn't have a great year, but to say that he was the worst player in the NBA based off of this stat, I think is a little crazy. The New York Knicks just had a really bad year. They weren't scoring any points from anybody. And so I think a lot of, and also the fact that he was a rookie, right? I think yeah. kind of affects his plus minus. Whereas all these other players have a lot of historical data behind them to mm-hmm. say, okay, LeBron James had an off year, again, quote unquote off year. I hate saying that because this is LeBron James. <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> year. He's played great. Um, LeBron James had a quote unquote off year, but he's still in the top 10 because of his historical efficiency. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's also part of it. And so Kevin Knox rookies get low rated. If you look at the bottom, it's just a whole bunch of teams that didn't play well. With the exception, this is really interesting, of Quinn Cook. At 489 out of 514 rated players, Quinn Cook at 489 was really surprising to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe we can look at it as that he's playing like um, end of the bench minutes for them. Like he he wasn't always in high-pressured moments. So usually he's playing uh, when – not to say that he's like a human – victory cigar like Darko was, but uh, I, I think like with Quinn Cook, he was probably not caring on defense because they were already up by 20. They were going to win. Uh, and then he was probably told by Steve Kerr, don't run up the score. So that, that may have contributed, but I also am very surprised because he did play meaningful minutes, especially at the end mm-hmm. of his, like um, at the end of his golden state career. And even now when he's with the Lakers, like you're seeing him, more in the starters are not starters, excuse me, but more in meaningful minutes. So you would hope that this is again, historic and not like really telling of the, the player that they are now. Yeah. So my conjecture with this whole Quinn cook situation is the warriors lost a lot of depth last year. They just That's weren't, true, as deep. Yeah. there was a lot of injuries near the end of the bench and they were just kind of throwing people out there. So when Quinn cook comes in with this, the second unit, He's basically holding it together. Like, this is what I saw a lot of the Golden State Warriors last year, where all the starters ran up the score, they played really well, and then you needed someone just to hold it together while those starters rested. And so I think Quinn Cook was kind of that guy. And so, again, it, it, like, actually, he was very serviceable yeah. off the bench. I think he, he was like a decent player, but for him to be ranked in the bottom 
10th percentile is, is like, that, that's, that's really, really unfair um, for him, I think. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, even going off of, um, you know, the other players that are on this list right now, I mean, like, I think you can kind of also see it really is a, this is a stat of circumstance, you know, it's a stat that uh, there's some players that like, they're just in a bad position uh, and they can't really either showcase their skills or they're on a team where even if there's, they could be scoring quite a bit, but the, the team is giving up so many points and they're not really being positive on the offensive uh, real plus minus that you're not really, you know, you're not able to really be impactful. Like I, I think, uh, um, I mean, there's just some players in this bottom half that I, I think they could be serviceable. Like I'm, I'm actually even surprised Jamal Crawford. I, I know he wasn't doing well or sorry, the Phoenix Suns weren't doing well when he was playing. But, like, he's been known as a offensive spark plug, but, you know, we have him at negative 1.77 on offensive real plus minus. Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is really strange because near the bottom, you just you, – you see all the players that are on – team, like, a lot from Cleveland, a lot from New York, a lot mm-hmm. from Phoenix last season. So, I think plus minus really, really just – it skews towards how well your team is doing. Yeah. And sometimes that's a matter and, and everybody who's played basketball knows sometimes that's just a matter of who's on your team, who's surrounding you. Mm-hmm. You put LeBron James, you take LeBron James, one of the best players in the world, and you put a poor surrounding cast around him. And obviously that team's going to lose. Does that mean LeBron James isn't going to pl- uh, isn't a good player? Absolutely not. Right. Yeah. So I think that is a really, really big con of plus minus. And the more you dig into these rankings, the more you'll see a lot of weirdness versus something that we talked about last, last time with PER, whereas purely stat based, right? Yeah. Uh, I think someone said PR is more bottom up and uh, um, real plus minus is more top, top down. down. Right. So yeah. like PER is it, it's, it's easy. I, I think it's easier for us to convince ourselves that stats means a good player. A, a player is good. Right. And there's all these intangibles that are really, really, really hard to measure for players like Bruce Bowen, Tony Allen, Marcus Smart. Again, we talked about PR last time where Bruce Bowen was a terrible PR player, but maybe he was a really good plus minus player. So I think he is. I think uh, that when we were, or at least when I was doing my research, they talked about him and Manu Ginobili that don't put up a lot of stats, but like when they're on the floor, they're, they're net positives in both offense and defense. And so mm-hmm. players like that may have like a plus two, plus three, uh, real plus minus, meaning again, like in a hundred possessions, they're affecting the game, you know, plus three or plus four points more than the average player. Right. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that Bruce Bowen is scoring all four of those points, but he is, he is, partly contributing to making sure the team is better. And I think, uh, as you said, again, this is a top down in the team sort of sense of uh, team players are, are brought to the forefront in real plus minus. Yeah. And, and so something we can talk about is the defensive real plus minus, which is a measure of points allowed when you're on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, if you sort the, again, the ESPN stats by defensive real plus minus, mm-hmm. one, you'll, you'll see familiar names at the top. One, one that's actually really, really surprising to me was Ed Davis. And I mean, Ed Davis and Nerlens Noel are number two and three. Um, I, don't, I don't get where Nerlens came from. <laughs> I mean, he, he's, a, he's a talented player, but I, I just, I, I don't really see him being effective when he's on the court. Uh, I'm also heavily biased because he just played like terrible for the Mavs. But even when he was in OKC, I think he played a lot better than he did on the Mavs. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say that he's the number three best ranked defensive player in the NBA. And again, this this goes back to uh, it being more of a team stat where you see how he plays with uh, other players. And I, I think that's part of it. But it also speaks to the fact that some players are team defensive guys. They may not 
just jump out of the gym when it comes to their stats on blocks and steals or or deflections or anything that you we may use as sort of the defensive bellwethers but like um uh, i know i know uh from what i've read about ed davis in general is that he's a great team defense guy he's mm-hmm. he's the type of player he plays rugged he gets into people's uh chests like he is able to slow people down uh, even though he's only like six eight six nine he's willing to play bigger than he is um Nerlens Noel, Noel, he he is obviously a great, um, you know, athlete, and he was able to do some good stuff when he was in Philadelphia. But I think what helped him in OKC is that he a he's not the defensive anchor, or he doesn't have to be when you have Stephen Adams there, uh, and and then he also wasn't asked to like be the most incredible rebounder because they they had Westbrook and Adams there. I think he was able to just be a constant nuisance last year and he was able to get into the passing lanes and, and uh, just be more effective that way. And, and those things don't come in stats. They, they come in, in real plus or, or, or defensive plus minus, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Ed Davis, I just looked up his stat for 2018, 2019 average less than a block, less than a steal per game, which is always kind of the stat that you look at for defense. Yeah. Um, but Nerland's Noel uh, averaged about a block and about a steal. And so, like, you're totally right. Um, this actually makes me want to watch Ed Davis a lot more because yeah. I really admire defensive players that are good at positioning, that don't need to rock, rack up blocks and steals, that are undersized. It, like the Draymond Greens and the Ben Wallace's of the world, I, I love watching those types of players because – they make smart decisions. Yeah. And, and they're always, it's, it's just so hard for a person who does not watch them play regularly to understand why they're so good. And I think real plus minus does a really good job mm-hmm. occasionally, not all the time, but of teasing these things out. Yeah. And, and uh, I think one thing that we've learned throughout our research of like PER defensive real plus minus some of the other stats we've been looking at, nothing's perfect but we can get a better sense of everything with using statistics as sort of a way to tease out and understand players. And, um, and and I just want to say one more thing about Ed Davis. Like he doesn't pop out on any stat sheet, but one thing a a youth basketball coach told me years and years ago, it's like, he's not looking for the guy that has 10 rebounds. He's looking for the guy that boxes out, the other player so his teammates can get those rebounds um and that's the type of player that ed davis is and that's why you're probably seeing him having a higher defensive uh real plus minus because he's doing a lot of those intangible things that is making his team more successful yeah and and if you look at the top 50 list you see a lot of players like this a lot of players that set really really solid screens um do Mm -hmm. a lot of the dirty work for players uh, Zaza Pachulia at 19. Yeah. <laughs> uh, surpri- surprising to me because that, that guy is really slowed down, but also not surprising because that's a tough guy. He yeah. has a lot of intangibles. He boxes out hard. He sets these huge screens that will knock you to your ass even at, at, at his age. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got people like Nurkic, Miles Turner, um, Robert Covington, who's just solid defensively. One name that I was surprised to see, and I think this might be due to a lot of historical in, uh, data, is, is DeAndre Jordan. Because mm-hmm. when he was playing with the Mavs, again, I'm really biased. Man, I'm, I'm really showing my colors here. Um, I, I'm with you, man. I, I, <laughs> I mean, we'll go into – I'll go into a diatribe after you're done. But Yeah, like this guy uh, showed little effort in defending the paint. He, he had these tiny players come at him, and he would just stick out an arm forward, not even up. Yeah. And, and yeah, he grabbed a puncher rebounds and he had these big blocks and uh but but I don't know if it's historical information or if maybe he maybe he just was contributing more than than the eye test um let up. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna give my diatribe on DeAndre Jordan. Oh yeah, uh, please <laughs> let, let me hear that. I, I love it. I love it. Cause okay. man. That guy after after that whole free agent thing, thing is sour taste for all Mavs fans. Oh, absolutely. And okay, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, I was so thankful that he didn't sign with us, and the reason why is that I think he was one of the most 
overrated defensive players. And I, I say this, but knowing that he's still a good defensive player, but like he had all of these like, you know, spectacular blocks. He got a lot of rebounds, which is great, but he was going for the showy defensive stats that don't always necessarily mean that he's being a good team defender. So like how we talked about Ed Davis is doing like the dirty work and he may not get a lot of those big stats. I think DeAndre Jordan is the opposite, like 180 degree opposite of him where he's going. So he gets off. uh, One of the big reasons why I was so thankful that he didn't sign with us. He gets out of position all the time to try to go for big blocks he doesn't always box out his man because he's trying to look for the rebound more than he's trying to stop someone from getting the rebound. Mm -hmm. And then also he just does not have great defensive awareness where he knows where players are going to go. Like he doesn't. So what made Ben Wallace, Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis, like great defenders is actually he, they led players to certain areas of the floor where they would be less successful deandre jordan never knew how to do that Mm -hmm. and so when he was with the clippers i I don't think he's the only reason that they never got too far but he was a big reason why especially in that rockets clippers one where there was three one where they were up three one on the rockets and then the rockets came back to win that one he allowed james harden to do what Ever he wanted because he never helped his team lead him into spots that he wasn't comfortable. Mm-hmm, I put mm-hmm. that hugely on DeAndre Jordan, and I think that's why I I get why he probably had a a, a high defensive real plus minus because when he was on the floor for the Knicks and the Mavericks, who were not great defensive teams at all. I think he stood out for being an average one and it averaged out to be higher than it should be. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. It's really good. So, point. uh, cause like you have, obviously you had Dirk on his last legs. You had, uh, Luca, who's not a great, uh, a defender, undersized defenders in Dorian Finney Smith and Max Kleber. Uh, and then when he went to the Knicks, you have Kevin Knox. Uh, the only other good defensive player that the Knicks had was Mitchell Robinson, but he was a rookie. So I, I, I think that's why we're seeing him have a slightly higher one than I expected. But granted, I, I do have to take some of my bias out of it and know that he's probably better than I'm even giving him credit for. But I, I can say it with 100% accurate or 100% confidence that he's overrated. Yeah. And, and so this goes back to the PER argument where blocks and steals are great. But there's a difference. So, so this is something that I, I think David Robinson said, where every time I'm going for a block, I'm not looking to swat it out of the stands. I'm looking to tip it because it's in bounds and it can, it, it's in play again. Like I want yeah. my team to get it. I don't want it to go out of bounds because what's the point of a block if it's just going back to the opponent? And so there's a difference between DeAndre Jordan, who uh, likes those big blocks, likes those big moments, likes that showmanship, versus someone like David Robinson who would tip it try to get it back to his team and that really shows up in a defensive plus minus plus minus versus something like like the value of a block is not just a block right you you, mm-hmm. you can't say all blocks are equal and i think that's like the crazy nuance of basketball that just makes it so magical there's oh, just so there's this little bits of it right and so a block is not just a block oh absolutely you put it perfectly because as we talked about with ed davis he doesn't get a lot of blocks he gets less than a block a game. But the reason why he is so effective is because he's doing the little things on defense to make it harder on the other team. And so if he's getting six rebounds a game, but he prevents the other team from getting offensive rebounds, he is being a better defensive player than uh, DeAndre Jordan, who may be getting like 12, 13 rebounds a game, but if he is just like looking for those uh, sexy rebounds, then, you know, he is going to negatively affect uh, overall the team. And so again, that's why I think uh, defensive real plus minus though, does show at least what we're seeing is uh, a, a good measure of intangible. So um, obviously we had the defensive player of the year, uh, the last, did Rudy Gobert win the last two years? I'm not sure. 
I'm fairly yeah. sure. I think he did, but I'm just uh, – uh, that being said, and we'll fact check that later, Rudy Gobert is number one, and he is – the reason why is because he is not only a showy defender, he's a effective defender. Yep. So yep. he, as you said with David Robinson – He's not trying to swat it out. He, you never see him go for those huge, gigantic blocks where it's like going out of bounds. He is either trying to tip it or change the direction of the shot by being so mm-hmm. long and athletic. So he is making his team so much more effective by the fact that he is actually uh, just altering shots or, or tipping it to players so that they can, they can go on a fast break. Because – nothing's worse on defense for the other team if they're not set up and having a, a tip to you or a a tipping the ball to your teammate to start a fast break is a perfect way to do that. Yeah. All right, man. I think uh, we got to wrap this up. We could talk about defensive plus minus all day. I think that's, that's the more interesting stat. Oh Um, yeah. I think we got to wrap up Uh, any last closing thoughts. No. uh, Well, I guess the thing is I'm looking forward to the rest of the season to see, how uh, more players are going to uh, show up on real plus minus? Like, what are we going to see historically? Or if, if there's anything uh, that meets out historically is what I mean. Uh, and I'm just looking forward to uh, really getting into uh, – or getting more into the stats and seeing what happens this year because this year has shown us that anything can happen, and, and it's super exciting to see what the NBA is becoming. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. So we'll just close out the show. Thank you everyone so much for listening. We appreciate your passion. If you haven't already followed us, we're on Twitter, Instagram, at the BR underscore podcast. We'll post news. We'll post links. Um, we'll, we have to get out this Reddit link out there from, from Drummer Rob. Again, mm-hmm. a lot of credit out to him. Uh, and so please like, share, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to it. And until next time, this is Josh and Eric signing off. Peace.